0: Yeah. The other day, I heard an agent friend of mine talking about this script he read. Said it was the worst thing he'd ever seen. I interrupted, asked if I could read it too. It's one of those things you do as a writer. When you hear something's awful, you kind of need to see it, breathe it, hear what it sounds like. I guess it's not that dissimilar from when I'm feeling down about how I look. Go to Walmart at midnight on a Tuesday. He said yes. I read it that night. I thought it was pretty good. So the next day I called him and asked him what was so bad about it. He said, well, he hated that the main character died in the end. That it made it so unrelatable. Not what audiences wanted. I remember thinking those two aren't mutually exclusive. Maybe we don't want to see a main character die, but if I'm being honest, I think sometimes dying is more relatable than living. My name is Daniel, it's not my actual name, but it's how I refer to myself and how I've asked others in this series to as well. A little preface here, you've already picked up on it because I've told you, but I'm a writer, although I won't tell you what, and as the season progresses you'll know why I don't tell you my name. Eventually, I'm sure it'll get out, and then you'll google some of the things I've written and you'll make some connections between the stories I've put into the world, and the one I'll tell you here. And there will be some inferences about people and plots that, to be honest, I'm just not that comfortable being open with yet. I'm not sure I ever will be, so the best I can hope for is a slow burn. I suppose that's the beauty of something like this. It's unabashed, yet anonymous, honest, yet hidden. Who knows if anyone will even find it. It's kind of like the solution to the paradox of writing, being able to put a story into the ether without worrying about vacuuming up whatever space you left yourself to breathe. In the two decades I've been writing, there's one story inside me that is at the heart of almost everything I do, and yet, At every awards ceremony and honorary luncheon i've kept it to myself locked away like the memory i sometimes wish it was so i'm telling it now for two reasons one the woman in question has died and so my story can no longer steal her heir even if it wanted to and related to that i know she died because after all these years of looking for her i finally found her only for her to pass about a month later in some weird cosmic middle finger to everything I thought I had. Two, I don't think I'm far behind. It takes heart, it takes hurt, it takes art, but I can heal. Three weeks ago, I was diagnosed with stage 4 liver cancer. This is probably the last story I will ever tell. And I wanted to make sure it was the one I needed to say, and that it was on the terms that I wanted. It's a public service announcement though, if you ever start losing weight without meaning to, get it checked out. Don't assume the light dieting and occasional exercise is just suddenly starting to work. I have no idea how much time I have left. And even if someone told me, I gotta be honest, I wouldn't believe it. I don't think I've ever encountered a situation where I heard someone say, the doctor gave me two months, and it was ever even remotely close to that. Sort of reminds me of this website that became popular when I was first starting to gain traction as a writer. It's basically this death clock thing where you'd enter in basic information about yourself and it would tell you when you're going to die. Maybe some of you did it too. I took a screenshot of that site when I did it. I remember that, and for fun, maybe in one of those silly exercises we do to find meaning in otherwise meaningless moments, perhaps like a Walmart for my deathbed. I went searching for the photo on an old hard drive. As a writer, you never throw anything away, you just can't be sure when you'll need the words again. I found it in a folder labeled LOL, all capitals, if that helps tape me. I opened it, and I think I actually almost died right then, because it listed October 2nd, 2019, as my date. That was the exact day I went into the doctor's office. Life kind of just works like that, I guess starting to wonder if death does too. So here's the story. In 2001, my mother died of natural causes. And I buried her, alone, I lost my father in 98 and I never had any siblings, or so I thought, more on that later, on a bleak Tuesday morning in a suburb outside Boston. On Wednesday morning, I can't even make this up because trust me if I could I'd probably leave a little lag time to make it seem more believable. I received a letter in the mail. There was no return address. And on the front, above the scrawled letters of my address, instead of my name, it read, My Son. Okay, so I wish I could say I had some prophetic event. One where this feeling of connectedness to things overwhelmed me, left me in some puddle of tears on the floor, pondering the grandioseness of cutting a hole inside it and crawling in. That would have been pretty nice in retrospect but instead i threw the letter in the trash i'll say it again because that's an important detail and one which lodged in many ways the feeling inside me that on some nights i still awake in bed wondering if that guilt blossomed into something else spreading throughout my body and clearing everything in its way wondering if maybe that guilt started in my liver eventually came to be defined by only stages. I threw the letter in the trash. It wasn't supposed to go this way when I met you yesterday, I didn't need you. Next Trash came Monday morning. I lived in an apartment, so it all goes down a chute. It's basically impossible to track once that little metal door is closed. And Monday afternoon, I woke up, and I'm a writer, so setting my alarm for noon isn't that strange. Went to get breakfast, brunch, at Denny's. Don't judge me. My mom and I used to go on Sunday morning dates there after my father died. I remember hoping she wouldn't care that I went on a Monday. That I didn't want to upset whatever ghost might be wandering around the kitchen where my microwavable eggs were being cooked. I remember thinking that because it was only later when I processed how strange that was. I was worried she'd be mad I went to Denny's on a Monday and not that I threw away was probably her last wish for me. I say probably because I got home that afternoon and checked the mail, and sure enough, there was another letter. The envelope was the same. The writing looked it too. I was actually half convinced at the time that her spirit dug into the city waste system and unearthed my trash just to return it again like the chiding Catholic mother she was. I wondered how much trash she had to sift through. What else I had thrown away that week. It's the same week she died, so nothing too crazy, I'm sure, although I did smoke a cigar and I did have a one night stand with a girl I met on the subway that day, riding around trying to figure out how to write a certain character I had been working on. So she may have found remnants of either one, although if you ever knew her, you'd understand that it's the cigar wrapper that would have sent her to an early death if she'd found it. I wonder if she found it now, after she had already died, if that would be like some permanent version of passing, like the final death of a ghost, maybe even like a vacuum cleaner sucking her up, churning her into the dust until she became part of the world that we just throw away. It wasn't until years later that I would discover she sent two letters. She knew I'd probably ignore the first. I don't know if she thought I'd toss it in the trash, but hey, she didn't know me better than anyone, so it's possible. I open the second letter. I won't read the whole thing here on the first episode. I'm a writer, after all, so can't give everything away right out of the gate. But here's how it starts. And again, I'm replacing the name she actually used with the one I'm choosing here. Dear Daniel, How are you? probably better than me since I'm dead. (laughs) She had that weird religious sense of humor about death makes me laugh even now where it didn't really happen to you so much as you happened to it and so you had an excuse to make a joke of it. She continued. I never wanted to do this by letter. To be honest I'm not even really sure how to do it so here goes. I'll be as honest and blunt as possible. If you're reading this, then I'm gone, and the executor is following out my last requests. And if that's the case, then you know the time is precious, and you don't have seconds to spare on words without meaning. For your entire life, you've known me as mom. And now that I'm gone, and now that I can't be arrested for what I did, which would only tear me away from the one thing I so desperately wanted, I need you to know the truth. I am not your mother, at least not the way you think. When you were six months old, or at least that's the age I guessed you were, your birth mother took you to the state fair, where we met at a bar, one of those pop-up tents where parents and single people seemed to share a common interest. She sat down next to me you in the stroller asleep in a gray onesie and pants that looked way too hot for the summer weather. And we got a little drunk. I told her about the miscarriages and the disputes with the court over the insurance bills and the problems with the adoption process. She told me about her husband, your birth father, and how he was a drunk. Ironic considering where we were, I know. Who didn't support her or you and how sometimes she wished you'd never been born she must have seen the pain and shock in my eyes because she quickly covered it up for his sake she said i did not believe her or maybe i just didn't want to about 30 minutes later she needed to pee She didn't want to wake you up by bringing me with her, so she asked if I would watch you for a minute. I said, of course. And in exchange, she offered to pay for my drinks. She put her card on the counter and walked to the restroom, probably 50 yards away. To this day, I often think she never had any intention of coming back, that she knew I was meant to be your mother more than she was. But I'd be lying if I said I ever gave her the chance. I watched her open the door and while the bartender was running her card, I stood up, grabbed my purse and pushed you away. The fair was a zoo that day, it always was, and I was off the grounds before the lockdown ever started." I'll skip down a few paragraphs through mostly exposition and a very weird apology that maybe sometime later this season I'll read. To this. I need you to know who your real mother is. I don't know a lot of details. We only had one conversation. And all I know was the stuff I saw in the news. I never wanted to pull police reports or look up your name later in life. I was always too worried someone would catch me. So all I know is that your real mother's name is... And I kid you not, at this point, the letter becomes almost indecipherable. I couldn't read the name, and I couldn't shake the feeling that if I had opened the first letter instead, maybe the name would be clearer. That maybe by the second time, it had somehow become too much for her, too real. And the letters were written like she was in the throes of a shaking hand, although it's worth noting the paper showed no signs of faded watermarks. I don't think she cried when she wrote it. I don't think she felt that particular emotion about what she did at all. I won't tell you about the meetings with handwriting experts and a rather weird encounter with a Norwegian man named Lars who actually asked me to meet him at an Ikea who, despite his barriers to the English language and what I was convinced was actually a setup for a sting operation or some weird Craigslist killer type thing. He was the first one to successfully identify the name. But even then, my kind of mother had only used my actual mother's first name. Melanie. She hadn't capitalized the M, which was what made it so hard. So there I was, standing in the kitchen of my apartment, smelling the Denny's eggs in my clothes as if I had rolled around in them, reading a letter from the woman I thought was my mom, telling me that she kidnapped me from my actual mom, Who apparently didn't want me in the first place that was the beginning of a lot of things for me it was the start of a drinking problem that even today hasn't stopped even though i have not had a drink in 961 days thank you very much but if you're a fellow alcoholic then you know how that weird description works it was the start of a gambling addiction that definitely hasn't stopped even though i haven't gambled in uh, seven hours (laughs) It was also the start of my writing career in earnest when suddenly the words charging through my brain would knock little keys over with my fingers in a way that didn't seem to care about doubt and loathing and that overwhelming feeling that anyone who tells stories for a living worries about that what you have to say isn't interesting that your stories aren't worth telling This one is but for the first time in my entire professional life i don't really care every artist wants to leave behind a piece of themselves when they die but recently i've realized i've left so many pieces that i don't really know what i'm taking with me i hope that by putting this one behind handing it to the atmosphere from which it came Maybe I can exchange it for something. Maybe my last dying wish is a trade. It would kind of make sense. One of my first memories of the woman I thought was my mom was teaching her how to play Oregon Trail one day after school. I'll trade my ox and my wagon and everything inside it. Just to have one day with the woman who gave birth to me. To have one moment where she held me in her arms and wanted me. Really wanted me. To the point where even now it gives me comfort to think of her returning from the bathroom at the state fair. Collapsing to her knees, crying. If for no other reason, one memory. The emotions of a person who has something taken from her that she actually wanted. I would give almost anything to have a memory of that woman calling me by the name she gave me. That letter was the start of an identity crisis. And yet, oddly enough, that identity crisis is what gave me an identity in the first place. The same one I have now. The one that's even me allowing me to have a career where someone at some point might find this thing and listen to it. Maybe not, maybe no one will find it until it's too late. When the cancer has put flags in every organ of my body, claiming victory and then spreading again, giving birth to more cells that in a strange solace, I can at least take comfort that something inside my body gets to spend time with its real mother. So here's the full story. All its twists and turns laid out over this season my final toe-dip into the ocean of things I'll never quite understand, but pretend to in order to make other people think they do. How I spent 20 years traveling the world, and shaking hands with people I had no business knowing, pretending that all I was doing was trying to find the perfect word, the perfect phrase, the perfect title, when in reality, I was just trying to find the most normal thing possible. Love, even if it's unrequited, in the form of the woman that was my mother. I hope you'll join me. And I hope maybe you'll find something too. I've been searching, as far as I could, but it doesn't matter. now.